The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success, and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about life, and it's about how our lives can be better and what people have learned in their lives. And we're going to talk with an octogenarian, almost octogenarian, a wonderful guy. I actually learned about him in Radio TV Interview Report, and it looked really like a wonderful uh, opportunity opportunity, it says that this author says you can be your own therapist. We're going to talk a little bit about him now. Let me tell you about Jerry Welch. Jerry is a business manager, property owner, pilot, skier, a diver, plumber, philanthropist, and now he's been a writer. In the last eight years, he's been a prolific writer, and he has learned a lot in his lifetime, and he felt the need to describe the vast experiences that he've learned in his life with pen and paper, and he doesn't claim to be an academic scholar, but he says with a smile that he has many observations to share. So I got a kick out of it that here's some of his books. He has written, um, well, one of his new books is Encyclopedia of Observations, which is coming out. It's called Encyclopedia of Observations, A Creed for Living. That's coming out. And that's a collaborative effort with the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I went as an undergrad. So we had some kind of connection there since he used to live in Madison, and he still goes back there. Also, he wrote a couple other books. Uh, he has a novel, Corporocracy, and Welcome to Reality. And then he has a new book that we're going to talk about. It's called A Day of, Li- of Life um, and Moments in Time. I love that. So I'm going to introduce you to this wonderful 78-year-old entrepreneur who, after living a full life, has, you know, kind of just jumped into being a an author um, and uh, really involved with social theory and writing novels and all, all sorts of things, nonfiction. So it's great. So thanks so much for joining us, Jerry. Hello. It's Mari. Yes. Yeah. Hello, Mari. Yes, I, I'm delighted. I, I'm really delighted because your invitation came just at the time of the publication of A Day of Life Moment Time. Sort of like karma. Yeah, of course. So tell us, um, why did you write this book? It's a, a spinoff from a general thesis. and um, I started with uh, Welcome to Reality, of course, uh, that led to corporocracy, uh, which developed into a, a theme or a thesis, and that moved into uh, living life and life's moments and all of the uh, things that uh, uh, I'm writing about in the last two books. Yeah, so how is it that, you know, you went your whole life doing all these exciting things, and then just eight years ago, you were like, what, like oh, 70 years old, you decided to write? How did that happen? Uh, it came about from an experience I uh, had uh, in court.
short, actually, uh, would probably relate to. Yes. Uh, but uh, I ended up uh, being thrown in jail uh, by a, a judge for contempt of court, and my son was thrown in jail with me. Oh, because he opened his mouth, too? Yes. <laughs> yeah, talk about free speech, right? Freedom of speech? Not always, right? Yes. <laughs> so so what was that that, that kind of led you to, to write? Was it when you were sitting in jail, or what was it that actually got you going? Uh, well, of course, that was a revelation in of, of itself. Uh, but when I started writing about that, uh, a lot of things fell in place regarding uh, the justice system. And I learned that uh, the judge was merely a part of a corporation. Yeah. So that brought about corporocracy. Yeah. So when we talk about corporations, what makes the status of corporations um, as, as people, what makes it problematic for you? Well, it's uh, not necessarily problematic to just me. It's it's problematic to uh, society. Yes. And corporocracy goes back from the beginning of time. It's basically, and again, real basically, just a few controlling the many. Yeah, yeah. And now with the Internet, there's so much more power in us getting together and writing together. And and so somewhat people can protest together easily. They can create good things or bad things together very easily on the Internet. They can raise lots of money for charity. They can build relationships and do wonderful things. But there's, you know, there's some other things that they can do. So what is your theory that should happen? I mean, basically with your, your novel with uh, Corporocracy, what what do you think should happen now that you've lived all these years on this planet? What do you think should happen? Well, I'd like to move it into a day of life, actually. Oh, okay. I just was. I just would love to know what your thoughts should be. But we, well, we... let me ex- <laughs> explain mm-hmm. what the, why I'd like to. Okay, sure. Basically, because a day of life, uh, we have six constants that have been uh, in society in in the world actually since the beginning of time, um, and corporocracy is one of those constants. Okay. That's, that's why I was referring okay. to a okay. day of life. Uh, but uh, there are six constants uh, as being repetitive. Uh, they are changing differences and you'll recognize, recognize this one. That's conflict. Yes. <laughs> and resource usage, corporocracy, dependency, and cultural enigmas. Okay, you want to go through each one of those and tell us a little bit about what you think about those? Certainly. Okay. Sure. Da- changing differences, um, that everything is different. Everybody is different. They all have different perceptions, different ideas. And conflict uh, as far as my thinking is concerned, uh, conflict arises from the changing differences. Yes. Yeah. And instead of instead of embracing and valuing those different perspectives and saying, "Aha, that's an interesting way to think about something," people sometimes allow it. Well, quite often, will allow those differences to escalate into anger and hostility rather than recognizing those perceptions. And everybody has a different perception of everything, right? Exactly. Yes, I, I like uh, your versions of how to handle conflict, and uh, I think you probably would concur that in, in order to handle, handle conflict, you have to be aware of and accept the differences. Yes, and you have to understand those differences. You know, sometimes we, it's so easy to think the way we think that everybody should think the way we think, but not, you know, most people don't think the way we think. You know what I mean? We all see things differently from our, from our upbringing, from our culture, from our gender, from all different things just from the experiences we have in life. And so it's kind of crazy to think that someone's going to think about something in the exact way that we're going to think about it. 
right? That's right. And then we kind of muddy up the waters there with those cultural enigmas. Yes. Uh, and that relates to the whole world. Yes. Uh, and presently, of course, we're in a lot of conflict yeah. from cultural enigmas. I mean, we see it at the local level. Uh, we see it in organizations. We see it, obviously, on the global level. And it's, um, it is it is a challenge for us. And so so what what is your, you know, in your um, in your book, what are you trying to get people to, to see in your day of life and moments of time, moments in time? Well, uh, the other thing is that I mentioned uh, the five life forms. Yeah, yeah. And I take uh, a day of life from day one, seven, uh, or excuse me, day one, one human being. Yes. And I end up at day zero, seven billion humans. Yeah. Uh, so you start throwing those other constants in there, uh, cultural enigmas, dependency. You mentioned uh, the Internet. Yes. Uh, we're dependent now on the Internet. We're dependent on uh, what corporocracy has has produced, the automobile. Yes. And uh, in transportation, our energy sources. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to consider <laughs> what happens when those things are removed. And also when you think about, for me, I, I wonder how I ever got along without a cell phone, you know? I mean, how did I do that? How did I get through high school and college and my kids growing up? How did I do that without a cell phone? I mean, I got one later, but <coughs> it was a big one that was sitting in my car. And we, we've kind of become dependent on all of these electronic devices, right? Well, there's no doubt about it. We're completely dependent on them. I mean, I can't get up any day without opening that laptop computer and start clicking away. Exactly. And, and the kids that grow up with it, you know, they, they, they're tethered to their texting, you know, on their smartphones. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that worries me is this, like the smart grid, because we're all going to be on the smart grid, which basically is, hand, you know, gives us all of our electric, all of our water, all of our gas, everything is going to be connected. And, you know, we've had some experiences here, and I don't know if you went through this, because I know that you're in New Mexico, but we had a time where, you know, all the electric was out and boy that was um that was a challenge how do you get work done you know how do you contact people how do you do anything and um so i think being so tethered to all these devices has um has really put us into a situation where if that's all down what do we do another uh Thing that I'd thro like to throw in the works here, and that is that uh, if you take all all of the uh, things that we've just mentioned uh, and reflect back uh, within all oh, the realm of about a hundred years, that's when all this has come about. Um, so quickly, that's huh? when airplanes started flying in the sky and and cars started running down the, the gravel streets at that time, um, and the development of the fuel that they run on was took millions of years. Yes. Yeah. Millions of years. And, and we're uh, drawing it out in 100 years and continuing to do so. Yeah. So what is your suggestion with all of this that's going on? I mean, like I said, you're you're just about an octogenarian and you've you've lived through a lot of this stuff from a little boy until now. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit behind you, but, you know, um, what do you think that your readers should be doing? What should be doing given the well, fact that we're, uh, yeah. If I can just 
read from what I uh, submitted to my publisher okay. um, today, actually. Hmm. Uh, the book is a monumental and timely piece relevant to this moment in time. Its purpose is to move the reader from a self-centered, self-indulging, and consuming orientation to a more expansive understanding of one planet, one people, with limited resources. Yes. The book is presented from the perspective of humanoid, one of us, yes. in relationship to all that is and the constants of in life that all of us face, ultimately orientating the reader to change awareness by applying the constants with divinely sourced inspiration. So when we're so busy texting and emailing and searching on the internet and looking outside of ourselves, um, it keeps us from really get going within and, and feeling that oneness with everyone else, right? I mean, that's how I, at least I see it. I see every, everybody so outward directed or so, you know, they're connected, but they're not connected. Like I, I, I see my daughter who's 27 years old and she, instead of picking up the phone, she texts me all the time, <laughs> which I don't especially feel is very much of a connection. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, so even yeah. though we're connected on the internet and we're talking back and forth and we're in Facebook and LinkedIn and meeting all these people, we're not connecting at that oneness level, are we? We are not. That's, that's a true statement, yes. And so when, when I think about moments in time, there is only this very moment, right? There's only right now, this very second, and then it's gone. And we are all living in our own little cell. I call it a bubble, but we're all living in our little cell or our own moment in time, and it, it, it tends to react. We tend to react to the events that we're participating at that moment. Yes. So when you write about the, the role that motive plays in your life, um, what are your thoughts about that? What is the, the role that motive plays in your life? Well, it's uh, the part that motive plays in my life, uh, of course, is different uh, from the motive of everybody in the else in the world, everybody around me. But one probably equalizing or one similar motive is we all want recognition. We all want to be wanted and needed. Uh, but and, and we all want to connect, right? We, we there, really... That's right. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. Uh, we all want to connect. Uh, we, all, we all want love, right? We all want love one way or another, right? That's true. The problem that projects into conflict with motives is what we're facing through corporocracy, through our leaders and their motives. And their motives are more and more tending to be uh, power and greed through profit uh, and worshiping their control over the masses. So so how do we, you know, I mean, on one hand, I understand what you're saying and that, that the individual kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And there's so many things that like when we look at our economy, people are really hurting. People are not, um, they're not looking out for everybody. But you have to have some organization too, right? Some kind you of... You do. Yeah. And uh, I, I should go back here and also explain that I don't always and I don't want to portray corporocracy as all bad. Right. It is an, it's a necessary thing. It's been around since the beginning of time. Right. Uh, and it, all of the things I talk about are there in other life forms even. You have uh, leadership in the animal kingdom. Oh, absolutely. And the insect uh, life forms. Yeah. Uh, but it just seems that uh, as the Mayan calendar says we're reaching sort of a plateau or a, uh, an awakening. Phase in, 
in life where these things are becoming more prevalent, where the corporate leadership is, is tending to be, their motives are tending to be more on the power and greed side. And that's the disturbing part. We have we have foundations and we have a lot of good corporations, a lot of uh, people who have uh, created things. We have innovators. Right. And we have, we have a lot of uh, wonderful medical devices that have saved lives. So, yeah, I mean, these corporations are doing good things. It's just that there, there, there is a lot of um, there's an oppor- there's an opportunity for these corporations to to also go to the dark side. There's the, the the light side and the dark side, right? That's exactly right. So, in terms of you know, for example, when I read the news, I I hate to watch the news on TV because it's all negative. But um, you know, except for 60 minutes. But I enjoy, for example, the Orange County Register, which is our local newspaper, because now right on the front page, they're always putting something positive, something that someone did that was really good, that helped other people, that was just like a hero without wanting to be a hero, or a corporation that was doing good. From my perspective, we give more credence to the to the fraud, to the bad that's being done, instead of giving publicity and, and accolades to all the good things that are being done. That's how I see it. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah for the Orange County. Yeah. Newspaper. So, you know, you talk about that society must develop a sense of the what you call the total picture. So what what is the total picture? I have to say that the total picture, of course, is what you envision it to be mm. and what we all envision it to be because I, I'm not in a position to tell you what the total picture is. Uh, that's what uh, Encyclopedia of Observations is all about. It's your observations and how, how you relate to what is said in the encyclopedia because you're forming your own conclusions. Hmm. When I think of the total picture myself, I think of being like an astronaut, being an astronaut and looking down on the earth and seeing this beautiful green and blue globe sitting there with all these little ants on it, (laughs) you know, which are us. And I see that's the total picture that we forget, that we forget that we are, you know, a community here. This is, you know, a, a global community. This is global people with common interests that really don't want to be killed or have their family be killed or be in fights. So I guess when I think of the total picture, I'm kind of looking at it as a visual, a vision that I see. And then, you know, you go further and further. It was like Men in Black. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember if it was Men in Black 2 or whatever, but they open up this um, this locker and they see that, that everything is like the whole universe is another globe, you know, within the globe. And and, um, and I just say, wow, you know, we really are just one entire global universe. And we are so separate. And we think of ourselves as so separate, but we're really not. So that's kind of like what I was that's, thinking. That's an excellent observation. And if I could add to it. Yes, do. Uh, what uh, may possibly be missing is that people are neglecting to look at all life. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all, everybody's wrapped up in humanity and in their, again, their, their bubbles, their events, and they're just completely obliterating all the other life forms. And when it, when you really think about it, plant life sustains us. I mean, it's the initial life. It's the basic life. Right. We couldn't live without it. It produces the atmosphere that we breathe. Yep. And unless we just put on the brake and start thinking about it and considering what we need to do in relationship to other life, we're going to go over, we aren't going to go over the fiscal cliff. We're going to go over Right. catastrophic cliff. Exactly. And, and one so, thing, you know, 
I was talking today with some folks, and we were discussing water conditions mm-hmm. uh, here in, in New Mexico. Yeah, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. How the aquifers are dwindling. And then I thought, well, you know, the same thing is happening all over. Yes. And, and when you have lack of resources, what does that do? People then hoard, and people then, you know, are fighting and competitive for that. And then it turns into a fight and hostilities and conflict and wars over over these limited resources. If I may, I will regress back to constant number three, resource use. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time, believe it or not. So I just would like you to give your website, and then we will have to have you back again with your next book. Uh, I have uh, corpocracy.com okay. and corporocracy.net. Okay, and on there we can find the um, your brand new book, too. Can, are we going to get uh, a day act- of life? And Actually, that website is uh, being developed as, as we speak. But you'll, but you'll link it, right? So that people can it, look at a day of it life. It definitely will be linked. And I look forward and the to... the publisher is Trafford. Okay, and I look forward to your Encyclopedia of Observations as well, A Creed for Living. Sounds great. So it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing about all of your great books. And, uh, and you just stay well, all right? It's been my pleasure. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 right here on Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com and let us know what you're concerned about with conflict and peace and prosperity in your life. Thanks so much for joining us. of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, which airs on Monday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm here to tell you about a wonderful upcoming event. If you want to learn how to successfully resolve conflicts in your own life and find out how to help others bring peaceful resolution to the disputes in their lives through effective negotiations and mediations, You definitely won't want to miss the 21st Annual Orange County Mediation Conference, which will take place on Saturday, March 16th, 2013, on our great University of California campus at the beautiful University Club. The theme for this fantastic event is Mediation, Bringing Hope to a Diverse Community. The program will begin at 9 a.m. with a delicious breakfast. The program includes a fabulous lunch, and it'll end at 4 p.m. This is, again, Saturday, March 16th, 2013, right here at the University of California campus at the University Club. There will be internationally known keynote speakers and top-quality presenters for breakout sessions, 
You'll have tremendous networking opportunities to meet experienced transformers of conflict who will share their dispute resolution secrets with you. To find out more about this exciting, interactive, wonderful event on March 16th, please visit www.mediationconference.org. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. It's about trust. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, which airs every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And I am so pleased to welcome back Captain Nyswanger, who commands the Theo Lacey facility, which is the largest of the Orange County, California jails. It is a maximum security jail and houses various type of inmates. He's been with the Orange County Sheriff's Department now for 27 years, and we've even had him on before, before he was a captain. So we're so thrilled to have him back. Thank you for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Mari. So tell us, what kind of training does your staff have to deal with the more violent offenders in jail? Well, one of the challenges of, uh, of dealing with those offenders is really to know who they are. And to know that, we have to have quite a lot of information about uh, prison gang culture, uh, inmate culture, uh, because once you enter the Orange County Jail or any jail, you're, you're entering a, uh, a, a different type of society to where um, the, the normal rules and values that we apply every day in, in society don't apply there. They have their own culture. And first and foremost, we need to know that so that we can, uh, we can anticipate and, and react uh, to things that occur in the jail. And then uh, developing further information and, and training our staff about how to respond to, to different types of, uh, of disturbances and inmate violence and so forth. We, we spent a lot of time uh, anticipating and training for various types of uh, eventualities and, and things that do occur. So you have to train for the worst and, and hope for the best. Exactly. <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, airline pilots. They have to train and simulate all these tough stuff, and then they know how to deal with the real stuff. Is that right, how it works? Yeah, basically. We run through various types of training exercises and, and drills. Uh, most commonly, we call them emergency response teams, where we train specifically with certain types of less lethal weaponry that gives us the advantage of being able to uh, quickly uh, end disturbances, particularly large inmate fights, without causing significant injury and restore order quickly. So what else do you think is needed to prevent violence and, and perhaps rehabilitate those who are violent but haven't been so bad yet? Right. I think that's, uh, there, there's two parts of that, one of which is trying to ensure that we have security and control and good intelligence on, on things that are occurring within the prison gang culture and amongst the, the inmate culture, uh, uh, keeping apprised of that and being able to anticipate, say, things that occur, internal uh, gang politics that occur so that that could ultimately lead to violence. On the other hand, not all our uh, inmates are, you know, hardened gang members. A lot of them have just made mistakes in their lives. They're trying to get their lives together and so forth. We do work at trying to reduce recidivism by identifying this kind of uh, target group of inmates to try and get them so that they have some type of skills and ability to return to the community. And a lot of times uh, these inmates are either lacking those types of 
social support networks like family, employment, maybe friends, maybe religion. And so we do have efforts underway that try and get them into drug treatment programs, get them into uh, situations where they, they can rely upon family support or other mentors to keep them kind of within boundaries that keep them from, uh, from making mistakes and being arrested again and coming back to jail. And kind of reintroducing them into the healthy community rather than the society of the, the jail community. Exactly. The ideal is to keep them away from maybe some of the population that they're dealing with in the jail all the time and, and put them back into kind of a, a healthy you know, areas where they're... they're they can thrive. Yeah, where they can thrive. Correct. It sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Captain Neiswanger, for all the great work that you do. We really appreciate it, and you are wonderful. And we will have you back again. Thank you, Mari. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.